0: Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to episode 41 of the HBCU Audio Experience. And on this episode, I spoke with the author of the ABCs of HBCUs, Claudia Walker. She's put together a really, really fun book for children that allows children to practice their ABCs with uh, things related to HBCUs. So we talked about everything from the fundamentals of making a book to uh, even talking about what HBCU she predicts that her children would go to. Really fun conversation, really thoughtful conversation, a good conversation. And I think you will enjoy it. Your Walker here with us today. Claudia is the author of the ABCs of HBCUs. Claudia, tell me a quick synopsis of who you are and how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, um, I'm Claudia Walker. I am a wife. I'm a mom of three. I am. I've been a teacher for about fifteen years, and a very proud alum of Spelman College. And where I am now, it's it's been a long road. But I, when I was at Spelman, I was an English major, so I always had a love of literature and writing. And I guess that field of study, along with being an educator, a mom, an advocate of HBCUs, um, led to me writing the book, The ABCs of HBCUs.
0: Now, you know, sometimes there are some things that you see and you see them and you're like, wow, why didn't I think of that? And that's what I thought when I saw this, like, wow, this is a great idea. How did you come up with the, with the idea of writing a book, The ABCs of HBCUs?
1: You know, um, so every year I try to take a trip to Georgia, my mom is from Georgia, I have family there and my parents also have a home in Atlanta. So every year we take the kids and we go, we visit family and it's a tradition for me to take my daughter back to campus. So we, you know, we go to campus it's usually around the holidays. So there aren't a lot of people, there aren't a lot of students on campus, but we go on campus, we make sure we visit the bookstore. On our most recent visit, about maybe a year and a half ago, we got the chance to go into my dorm and we went into my dorm room. We took selfies and you know it was a surreal experience because as a mom, I think it just, it hit me, especially because we live on the West Coast. We're in California. So we don't really have, the luxury of visiting HBCUs regularly, right? There aren't any here in California. So when we were in my dorm room taking selfies, it just kind of hit me. What if my daughter actually has an opportunity to to go to Spelman or go to an HBCU And we made the rounds on campus. We visited the gym. She loves playing soccer. So she stopped and was talking to the people in the the gym about the different types of soccer programs and sports programs. And I'm always trying to do the hard sell. But again, we're only on campus one day out of 365, right? So that last visit, we were driving back home and I thought, well, what about my sons? My, My husband is not a Morehouse alum he didn't graduate from an hbcu so my sons really haven't had the opportunity to really get involved in the hbcu life or go on to campus and so that's when the idea for the abc's of hbcus hit me i think my youngest son was probably 2 at the time and when we were you know getting on the plane and heading back to california i just thought how can i encapsulate this experience that i had with my daughter into something that we can have forever, into something that we can share with other children. And I really wanted it to be an HBCU college tour. You know, when I was in high school, I had a chance to do one of the black college tours where we went and visited college campuses. And I thought, what if I could create something that actually gave that experience from A to Z, to, to young children. And so that was really where the idea came from.
0: Nice. So you had the idea of it. What was the first thing you did? Did you, did you just go and write it down on paper saying, Hey, this is how I'm going to do it. Did you say, let me look and see if there's anything out there. Let me say, did you say, Hmm, I wonder how I would get this manufactured. Did you say, Oh, I have someone that's an illustrator I'm going to work with. How did that process go?
1: For me, it's always does it exist? I I come up with tons of ideas and I always try to do research to see whether it exists because I don't want to get, you know, halfway into a project or have something completed and find out that it actually exists. Because if it existed, I would have just bought the book right for my kids and shared it with them. So that was the first step. And then the next step was trying to get down as many ideas. As I could. So I knew that I wanted it to be an ABC book, but I didn't want it to be as simple as, you know, A is for Alabama A&M and then move on to the letter B. Right. I really wanted it to be narrative. I really wanted it to not just be about the schools, but about the history of the schools and and the history of the people who attended the school. So, after that, I then had to delve into the research because I didn't know everything about, you know, the different HBCUs that exist.
0: Right, makes sense. If you had to this is kind of off topic a little bit, but it's on topic. If you had to guess what three HBCUs your kids would go to, what would what would you guess that each of them would go to just by looking at their personalities now?
1: Oh, oh wow. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. So <laughs> I would say my daughter, obviously, Spellman. Do you want me to pick three for each of the kids or just or, or one for each kid?
0: One for each kid.
1: Okay. So for my daughter, I would have to say Spellman, But I would say that, you know, Wiley is the home of the great debaters. And my daughter is an mm-hmm. avid debater. So okay. that might be the place for her. My son... Um I was just doing some research the other day about vet programs. He's really into animals. So I hear that Tuskegee and FAMU have have better vet programs. So he might end up at one of those. Mm-hmm. And then the youngest um he wants to be a superhero. So I have yet to find an HBCU that has a superhero in training program. So I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'm not sure. Right.
0: right, makes sense. It's always cool just to think about how do you think your kids are going to grow up? And then, you know, when you look back at it. And like,
1: this, exactly. Did that fit? <laughs> right.
0: Right. So I looked at the cover of your book and you have an illustrator. How did you find your illustrator?
1: Jessica Boyd. (laughs) Um, So when I finished writing the book, I was excited. But then I realized, okay, we're only a third of the way done with the process. Now I've got to find an illustrator. And I was really intentional from the beginning about wanting to make sure that there were a few things. Um, I wanted the artwork to really feel like artwork. I knew that it was a book. It's a board book. It's ABCs. Initially you're going to think about children, but to be honest, it has so much history that I know that adults are going to love it as well, and so I wanted the artwork to really reflect that. And so I also wanted a black artist. I on my on my list of You know, this is a little extra, but if I could ask for it, I wanted it to be someone who was an HBCU alum, but they didn't have to be. I just felt like someone who attended an HBCU wouldn't have to do any extra research when they read the the words on the page. They would initially they would immediately be able to identify with what I was what I was depicting. And so I started you know, just Googling, right? Google is is sometimes our best friend and our enemy. And so I started Googling for illustrators and I found some sites where right. there were different illustrators. And I had recently joined Instagram and I thought, well, this is a visual platform. Maybe I can find someone on Instagram. And I started getting discouraged because it felt like what I was looking for, I may have been overly optimistic or i was aiming too high and probably a couple of days before i said you know what maybe i should just i just need to get this book done maybe i'll i'll go with some of the other people that i've reached out to that don't necessarily have exactly what i'm looking for but can get the job done i ran across jessica boyd's instagram and fell in love and so i reached out to her and the way that I knew that this was a project that was that I was supposed to create, it was a project that, you know, it was part of God's assignment for me to do is when I reached out to her, she told me she was a Spelman alum and we started talking and the rest is history. I mean, her artwork is a major part of why, this book is something that should be in everyone's home because it really just brings life to the HBCU experience. It's so rich. Um, The representation for children is so authentic. It's so organic. It makes me smile. She's an amazing, an amazing artist.
0: Right now in working with an artist, you know, artists can be sensitive about their work when she sends you a draft of f is for you know fam you and you know that type of thing and it's not something that you want or it's not it's some maybe you think it can be a little bit better how do you prod and push her to do something different without being offensive
1: that's a great question so when i was working with jessica she would send me her initial drafts. And I would go through them with my husband. First, I have to say that in general, everything she sent me was spot on, right? But when she was sending some of the initial drafts, I remember at least three instances where I looked at it with my husband and we thought, oh, well, if she, you know, if she just tweaked this thing or if she just added this, it would be better. And literally before I could email it to her, she would have made those changes. Literally, or the things that I wanted her to change before I could wow. even tell her, she had made those changes. And so I think when we got to you know the end stages, there was maybe one or two things. And at that point, I had nothing but respect for her work. It was like, this is your lane. You were the same way that I was able to write this without anyone telling me what to do. She took the illustrations on as her baby and she created things that I in my wildest dream would not have imagined. So I early on realized, let me just let her do her thing. This is her lane. She knows what she's doing. This is her assignment right now. And toward the end, there were maybe one or two things that I wanted her to tweak. And it was just, Hey, Jessica, can you add this? Can you do that? And it was done. So the partnership was really, it was easy.
0: Right. How important is candor in a, in a partnership to you, with you because I'm not good at that. I'm not good at telling someone boom, 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 boom. And what it turns into is me starting to be a little passive aggressive as things go on. Working in the fields that you've worked in, how important is radical candor?
1: It's it's incredibly important, right? Especially when you have a project that means so much to you, you want it to be as great as possible. And when I was trying to decide between an illustrator, it came down to Jessica and one other person. And with the other person that I was working with, or they were giving me some specs and some examples of what they would, you know, creatively what they would come up with. I got the sense that I would need to do a lot of handholding. And I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. Um, I don't even know the terminology, right? I'm not an artist. I don't illustrate. I don't draw. So For me to try to explain to you what I want tweaked and changed and how to do it, especially thinking about the parameters of, of, you know, boundaries and the bleed and all of those things, it was just going to be too, too stressful for me. And this was my first time doing it. When Jessica sent me the specs, there was, there was nothing that I would have wanted her to change. She gave me three, what are, are your three options? which one would you choose? If she had only given me one, I would have gone with that. I would have loved that, but she gave me three. And so, you know, I was able to say, okay, this is the one that I want. But apart from that, you know, it's not just illustrations, it's it's deadlines, it's um, just the compatibility. And so I do think it's important. And I'm learning as a businesswoman that it's important that you speak up, right? So that you can make sure that, your expectations are clear and and that's something that probably should happen ahead of time where you're talking about your norms and and the things that work for you the way that you um creatively right work best and so it's something that I'm 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 learning but I think for this particular venture we were able to just work really seamlessly and it was it's it's been a great experience
0: now, walk me through the manufacturing process because you've written this book, you have your illustrations. How did you approach finding a manufacturer and then through how many iterations did you have to go through to get it right?
1: so um i'm I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. So I have about two years ago, I started up some other businesses where I started. Um, doing work with manufacturers overseas. And so over the past two years, I've, I've learned about that process and I've learned how to reach out and source different manufacturers. And so fortunately, when it came time to do the printing, I had the playbook. I didn't understand the publishing industry. And so that's something that I had to learn and that I'm still learning. But I knew how to source and look for printers um, and I'm still, you know, my, my book right now is in the pre-order phase, so I'm still waiting to get my first shipment. And so that's a bit of a, a, a little bit of tension where you're waiting and you're reaching out and staying up late because of the time difference. But fortunately, I didn't know how to go about sourcing printers. So.
0: Okay. So how do you, because I know that can be a hurdle for anyone that maybe want to do this in the future. Like, how do you how do you source it? Like, do you go on Alibaba and do you look at the reviews? How do, how do, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So Alibaba is the site that I use. Um, I look for trade assurance. I look at their reviews. I yeah. identify different printers that I'm interested in. And one thing that's really important for me is communication. So if it takes a long time for you to communicate, or if communication isn't very transparent, then I immediately cross you off of my list. But once I identify people who are really good about communicating in a timely manner, then I start looking at their pricing and then I it samples, so they'll send me samples of their work so that I can see the quality of it. Because sometimes it's not just about the price; it's about the quality of what they are, what they're producing, and. Looking at turnaround times, how long does it take you to actually print? And then what about shipping? So I look at all of those things and and ultimately it just comes down to that feeling of, of partnership, right? The person who seems to really be looking out for you in terms of getting you the best price and in terms of making sure that they're communicating about what the next phase is and what they need from you and whoever feels like if the price is right and, and the communication is is uh, seamless, then that's usually the the organization or the company that I tend to go with.
0: Do you go with your heart and go with feel? Because I'm somewhat of a ser- serial entrepreneur myself, and oftentimes if my heart if it feels right in my heart, I always go with it. But I've found out that when I've done manufacturing things, a lot of times the first person. That I reach out to ends up being the person that I work with. Interesting. Can you speak to that a little bit.
1: That's interesting. I do tend to go with my heart, but I think that it's it's more like the series of things that I've said. So in the in the instance of the printer, the printer that I ended up going with wasn't necessarily the the cheapest printer, but they were the ones that we're constantly reaching out. So, you know, do you have, you know, do you have your, your copy now? What about the illustrations? Are the illustrations done? Can you sit, did you get my, you know, there are the people who are hungry for the business. And so mm-hmm. when you're hungry for the business versus the person who, you know, I've been waiting for two days for you to get back to me, or I sent you something or you sent me something, but you haven't followed up to check to see whether I've received it. Um, even if your price is lower, I prefer the person who's hungry because I know if there's an issue, I know that they're going to get back to me. I know that they're going to pick up the phone or they're going to get on WhatsApp or they're going to shoot me an email or send me something right. So that I know where we stand. So that's how I, I tend to function when it comes to business. Right, so the person I can't sense. forget, you know, the person, who's yeah, the person who's, who's constantly there.
0: Right how important is it that they can speak fluent English?
1: You know, I don't really know how that process works because oftentimes there's that translate button. So I never know whether you actually are communicating with me in English or if there's some kind of translator, but it is important that what you're saying is something that I understand, right? That I don't have to, that like we are all able to clearly communicate because when you're talking about, business you know a, a simple mistake can be that can can cost you money it can be expensive so they we do need to be able to communicate effectively but i never really know because i don't speak to them on the phone so i never really know whether they speak fluent english or if there's a good translator
0: right right makes sense i became aware i think it was i don't know i saw something where it was a video and a kid like doing the ABCs of HBCUs. Was that you?
1: Yeah, that's that was my son. Yeah. These flashcards. How, how
0: how cool is that? Like, <laughs> like, what, what, how was the feedback been from that? Because it got to me and I don't, we don't I don't really look at any content. So something has to kind of stand out. So how has that been? I I think I remember seeing the comments and people were talking about how great that is. So. What have have you seen from an inbound perspective?
1: It's so funny because I created the cards. So when my kids trans, when they uh, we we started doing homeschool, Mm -hmm. I decided to redo our living room to just really make it an authentic homeschooling (laughs) space. And part of it was me just staying up late night and saying, let me create these flashcards for my my four year old. And I recorded a video and honestly did not think anything of it, had no plans to distribute it. It was just part of what we do at home. And the response that I have gotten from it is beyond anything that I would have imagined. You know, it's one of those things where you don't think, I mean, obviously the book is amazing and people have not gotten the book yet. So I know that when they do get the book, that will be, you know, something wonderful. But this was just something that we do at home. And I just happened to record a video in the morning of him, you know, going over his ABCs and I never imagined that people would actually want the cards. So it's been amazing. We ended up on the shade room, just all kinds. Wow. Of, yeah, it was just crazy. Wow. So yeah, it's but it, but it just, it's a reminder that this is what people want, right? We want ways to, to educate our children outside of what, the traditional establishment has said are the ways that we need to educate our kids, right? So A is for Apple and B is for bear. And when you're able to use those same methods, but it's something that is culturally relevant and it's based on HBCUs, which we're all so proud, right? We rep our HBCUs and if we're able to share that, not just our schools, but HBCUs in general with our children or with our students, that matters. And it's something that people want. So it was, it was wonderful and, su- but surprising feedback.
0: Right. Why did you choose to attend Spelman?
1: Well, why not? <laughs> um, my I, mom... said. I
0: wish I could have went to Spelman.
1: <laughs> of course. <laughs> um. So my mom, you know, again, I grew up here in Oakland on the West Coast. And so there aren't HBCUs here, but my mom grew up in Georgia and she attended Savannah State. And from, you know, ever since I was a young child, I just remember my mom talking to me about Savannah State and talking about dorm life and her friends and the fun that they used to have. I'm sure that she used to talk about what she learned and professors, but I just remember her talking about her friends in the dorm and, you know, propping the door open and doing somebody's hair and the dorm mother. And it just sounded like, it just sounded fun. It sounded like this is the thing that I want to do, right? I'm in second grade or third grade or fourth grade, but my mom is talking about this college experience in a way that I've never experienced school or education before. And so I always knew from that that I wanted to go to college. And then along came a different world. And that, I think, really personified for me everything that my mom was talking about, and it made it so real. And so I was pretty set at that point about going to an HBCU, but I didn't really know what school I wanted to go to. Additionally, I was a pretty smart student. So I was always encouraged to go to college, but never to an HBCU outside of my family. So in high school, a lot of my counselors were encouraging me to go to the local UC system. And I remember my parents, I asked my parents if I could go on a black college tour and it was the tour that was in the Atlanta University Center. That made sense to me because I got to visit a bunch of schools in, in you know in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. And I remember in, in high school, going to, um, I think it was a weekend college prep session, and they had us applying to the different UCs and the state colleges. And I remember sitting there and filling out the forms because I was interested in in maybe attending a UC. And I was filling out the forms and halfway through, I just said, I'm not filling it out. I'm, I'm not going to you know, a predominantly white institution. I'm going to an HBCU. And I went home, I told my dad, he was heartbroken but there was nothing he can do. So I ended up, when I went on the college tour, I knew that Spelman was just a place for me. I, I loved the fact that it was a small campus. It was all women's, but we still had access to the other schools in the AUC. So while I was there, I did do the cross registration and I took classes at all of the other schools, okay. but, and I, I had family that was there. So it felt safe. I knew I wanted to go away, but I had family there in case I needed them. And so it was just, the the ideal place for me.
0: Speak to that a little bit, because a lot of kids and some, you know, and a lot of times some women, they can be a little scared to go away for school. Speak to how it made you expand your horizons and how many different new people that you met freshman year that you're still cool with to this day. Speak to that a little bit.
1: It was one of the best experiences for me. And again, I think it was my mom just pouring into me and talking to me about experiences going away. And my my mom always said you can always come back home. But if you choose to, I think that you should go and explore. And I was I was just that kid who, you know, felt like I just want to go away. My parents weren't incredibly strict, but I think as, you know, children, especially teenagers, you want to get away. You want a little bit of distance, right? And so I knew that I wanted to go away. I think when you leave, it's a little bit it's different than being 15, 16 at home thinking if I just lived far away, I could do whatever I want. You sure. know, once you get on campus and your parents leave, it's you you're like, I don't know, maybe I should go back home. I kind of miss them but mm-hmm. it just it it taught me so much about resilience it gave me an opportunity i think if i lived close to home i would have that that cushion of of going back home on the weekends right yeah. and not not getting a chance to meet so many of the young women that i met and not getting a chance to form those deep relationships and so i work at a high school now and i always advise my students if you have an opportunity to You should get as much distance as you can, not because you don't love your family, not because you don't love where you're from, but this may be the one chance in your lifetime that you get to really explore and, you know, to, to go places and meet people that you otherwise wouldn't have. And so that, I think that really um, gave me a love of traveling and realizing that I can, I can keep traveling and I can always go home.
0: Right. Right, makes sense. What makes Spellman so special? So Spellman is always the number one HBCU. Is it the students that they recruit? Is it the faculty? Is it, I, I know the answer is all of that, but if you had to pinpoint a couple of things that really make Spellman so special, what is it? Because when I was, I think when I was 15 or 16, I used to go down to Morehouse and I had a cousin at Morehouse, and I, I used to be on Spellman's campus. And I used to tell them I was like 19 years old or a college student (laughs) at Ohio State. And it was like, it's about the air on Spelman's campus was just different. It's something about, what is it about Spelman that makes it such a special place?
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's all of those things, but I really do think that it is the culture that's created by the young women On campus, and it's not just the women on campus, but it's the history, right? It's it's understanding where the school began um, in in a church basement. It's understanding that there were women who just wanted an opportunity to read, and it's just it's a unique place because you have all of these different women who are high achieving women who are all part of the African diaspora who are coming together for a shared experience because we have a shared experience as, as women of African descent. And we know that, that we're also very different. Right. And so I think the thing that was so amazing to me about Spelman is people look at HBCUs and they say, Oh, well, there's, there's no diversity because, you know, you guys are all black, right. Which is not true. But then Spellman goes a little bit deeper. It's not just our, our, you know, You have students that are part of the African diaspora, but they're all women. But then you get there and you realize that we all have such different experiences and that creates such a rich experience for the women on campus. And and another thing about it is that we really do get a chance to delve into the struggles and the strengths of being black women. And when you're able to really delve into that and study it from your own personal perspective and from other people's experiences and perspectives, you can't help but leave as a better woman, right, who wants to to do their part in, in changing society and impacting society and lifting other little Black girls, you know, that may choose to or not, but that may choose to or not choose to attend Spellman but in some way we're all going out into the, into the world trying to make our impact
0: You're right how much of a direct correlation is writing skills and oratorical skills
1: I don't know that's a good question I don't know I I so I love both I Love writing.
0: I can tell. That's what, that's what kind of sparked the question. I can tell.
1: Yeah, I don't know, because I do think that I'm I'm part of, I think, a small minority of people who likes public speaking. I think that there are a lot of of writers who are introverts and writing is their way of really expressing themselves to the world, but they would choose not to read or speak publicly. So I'm not really sure how connected they are, but for me, it has been a lifeline for me. I I love reading. I love writing and I love speaking. Um, but I I also think that part of it is, is kind of genetic. I mean, I grew up like my, my grandmother was an orator. My mom is, I grew up in the black church where, you know, they like, girl, get on stage, say something, do something. So, um, But I think it can be learned as well, but I don't know how closely related they are.
0: Can a great writer, there's a great, how can I put this? Are most writers voracious readers?
1: I think you have to be, I think you have to be. I think, I mean, I don't read as much now as I as I did when I had more time. Um, but I think in order to be able to hone your craft, you've got to study other people who are honing their craft. And I think that the love of writing comes from a love of reading, right? Because ultimately your writing usually, unless it's just cathartic and you're writing to just express your emotions, usually you're writing because you want someone to read what it is that you have to say or read a story that you've written. So I do think that you have to love reading in order to be a great writer and in order to hone your craft.
0: Right. Were you a writer as a child?
1: I remember writing stories with my friends, you know, um, at recess, we'd write about what our lives were going to be like, or we'd write about, you know, fifth grade tales. So I, I did enjoy doing that. I, I enjoyed writing as a child, but I think if I if I think about my writing career um, from childhood until now, more than it being a, a story, it's been about a critical analysis. So those are the types of things that I really enjoyed writing as a kid. I remember um, in high school, I wrote a paper about, so back in that, so I grew up in the 90s or I was in high school in the 90s and there was a McDonald's commercial about uh, this boy named Calvin and everyone in the neighborhood, I think it took place in New York, but everyone in the neighborhood was so impressed. They thought that he was different. They didn't know what was different about Calvin. They said he used to hang out on the corner and they didn't know what was different. And then at the end of the commercial, you realize the thing that was different is that he now works at McDonald's, right? And so I remember writing a a paper in high school, probably as a a freshman, analyzing, critiquing that depiction of, of my community of Black people. And I remember my teacher coming up to me and just saying, this is this is different. You know, this is something you should, you may want to think about being a writer. And then as a senior at Spelman, an English major, my senior thesis was about the representations of the Williams sisters in the media. I am a I am a huge fan of Serena Williams and Venus. I, I grew up watching them play tennis. And when they first got onto the scene, they were amazing. But the media chose to they, they would talk about them, but when you would see when you would see um, visual representations of them, they always over exaggerated their physique, right? And the girls came on the scene and they had braids and beads with the foil on the end. And when you would see pictures, it it was it was always in the midst of a shot, and it always seemed it was never graceful. But on the flip side, at the time when they came on the scene, there was a, a woman by the name of Anna Kornikova and she never won anything, but she was the highest paid tennis player at the time because she, she fit the Eurocentric standard of beauty. And so when you would see pictures of her, it was always incredibly graceful and her hair was flowing. And so that's what my senior paper was about at... Um, at Spellman. And again, my professor came up to me and said, you may want to think about writing this. Maybe you want to get it published. And so more than writing about, you know, fairy tales, I was always critiquing and analyzing things that I saw. And I think this piece of work and where I am in my life now is recognizing it's great to critique, but, you know, when are you going to change the narrative, right? You can critique, but are you going to be part of the change that's actually challenging some of those misconceptions um, of, of African people in the media? And so that is really what this book is about. It's, you know, recognizing that we don't have there aren't always the best images of us. And, but I do think that over the past several years, there have been amazing writers who have come out and have, have who cre- that have created wonderful books for black children that explores the experience of being a black child and what's wonderful about being a black child. And so this is really just my, you know, my little five cents of adding adding to that.
0: Nice. Is writing a talent or a skill?
1: I think it can be both like anything else, right? I think that there are people as a teacher Uh That's what I try to impress upon my students that, yes, of course, there are some students who come to class and it seems like they never have to try. They're just they're they're great at whatever the particular subject is. But I always tell students that if there's something that you want, so maybe you're not the best writer. Or you think that there's an, another you know scientist in your class who just seems to really understand if it's something that you want, you can absolutely outwork them. And, and students usually relate to sports analogies, right? You can have someone who has that athletic ability or the writing ability, but if you work at it and if you study them and if you study other greats, you absolutely can, can acquire the skill.
0: Right, right, makes sense. What good has come out of this pandemic to you? Have you started to buy something online that Used to waste your time going to the stores? Are you doing more online things? Did you love the Patty Labelle versus? Tell me what was good what good came out of this pandemic for you.
1: Okay. So I I am I have been so in my zone that I miss the Patty Bell versus. Um, I miss the Patty LaBelle versus. And so I I feel awful about that. But a lot of things have have been great about. You know, obviously the pandemic is is awful and the ways in which we're having to distance ourselves from our family and our friends is really challenging. But this has really been the time where I've been the most productive. I have never been this productive in my life. And it's just because I have more time and I refuse to come out of this situation in the same place that I was before. I also have been able to spend a lot more time with my family, a lot more time with my children. And I've saved a lot of money, too. Um, I used to make I don't don't know how often I used to go to Target. I, I lived in Target and I have saved so much money because I'm not you know, I'm not tempted. Right. I'm just I'm home. I'm with my children. I'm working on the things that are important to me and just, you know, spending time with family. But yes, so so I I enjoy the versus uh, challenges. I've enjoyed D. Nice's sets. You know, I've loved connecting with different people on social media. That has been has been great.
0: Right. What's your take on virtual events? I'm not a big fan of them. You know, I know they're trying to do a lot of homecomings and things like that. I'm just not a fan of them. What's your take? That's just personally. How do you feel about the virtual birth?
1: I'm happy that we're in a place Like if this pandemic were to have happened 20, 30 years ago where we didn't have the same ways to connect, right? Especially when you think about schools, I don't know what we would do. So the fact that we have the opportunity, I think is great, but I'm with you. I really, I prefer the, Face to face connections. I don't, I'm not a person who always wants to be in the midst of everything, but I at least want to have the option or the opportunity. So it, it you know, nothing really beats the face to face connections that that we have.
0: Right, Claudia. How can people get in touch with you and purchase the book?
1: Sure. So I have a website. My website is HBCU Prep School com. On Instagram, I'm at HBCU Prep School and the book will be available. We'll start shipping in December. The flashcards that we have are available on our website for purchase. And I'm just looking forward to really giving young people and schools and teachers and families an opportunity to bring the HBCU experience into their homes teachers. for their, their children and their students.
0: When you wrote the book, how important was it to find a domain and an Instagram name that was available?
1: It was important. I didn't think about it initially. I was just focused on writing the book. But once I finished with the book, I definitely wanted to find something that that went beyond just the book. Right. You know, I knew I could have purchased a domain name that was the ABCs of HBCUs. But the H- HBCU prep school is a publishing company. And I know that there's a lot more, I have a lot more books that I'm working on a lot more concepts. And so it's bigger than just the ABCs of HBCU. So I wanted something that would be, you know, an overarching brand for the works that are to come.
0: Right. That makes sense. I really think that video of your son going through the flashcards, I think that's going to be the absolute best marketing piece that, you know, you can come up with all types of like really intricate or even expensive, high quality things. But I think that's going to be the best. Like if you really run Facebook and Instagram ads and then run some LinkedIn ads against mothers and fathers, sky's the limit.
1: I I was talking to my husband about that. And it's just it's funny that it was literally probably seven something in the morning just taking a video of him doing that. But I I agree. I think it's probably the fact that it's unpolished. It's just us doing what we typically do that, you know, that hits so differently. So, yeah, I'm excited.
0: Right. Claudia, thank you for your time. I really wish you the best. And I'm going to order a couple uh, for my kids as well.
1: Thank you, Todd. I, I enjoy talking to you.
0: All right. Thank you. Hopefully we'll do it again on the next book.
1: All right. Sounds good. Okay. Have a good day. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the HBCU audio experience. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Claudia Walker. Um, also, please uh, like us and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps out and it gives us some feedback on which way we should go, what what you like and what you don't like. And after you do that, send me an email at tied at HBCU graduates and uh, have some shirts laying around I may send to you. So thanks a lot. Catch you on the next episode.